The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to the Beautiful Lane, the uh, Spurs podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, with me today from The Athletic. Uh, we've got um, Tim Spears and James Moore. And I-, I wanted to start with that because, you know, two things about this. And I- both of these things I'm going to say next. One is semi-controversial and one is so controversial I expect James Moore with his power at Athletic to have me sacked off what I now regard as my own podcast. First thing I'll say is not controversial. That fan who kicked the goalkeeper, kicked Aaron Ramsdale, life ban, get the police involved. Absolutely. I know Ramsdale is a provocative, uh, let's call him a git sometimes. And there's a picture of him sticking his tongue out to Spurs fans. You cannot go on the pitch after the players. It's their place of work. Right. Next thing. Stop your sobbing by the pretenders. I know it was a terrible defeat. I know we're in a funny place with Spurs. Now, I know the repercussions, medium term and long term, could be uh, very unsettling for the club. But I want the younger listeners to the podcast to understand that the sun still rises the next day, no matter how bad the defeat has been. I stopped watching Spurs in the late 80s for several years because they were driving me nuts. Um, and I realised going to the games was really making me very unhappy indeed. And finally, and James, this is where I'll take your response first. There's a part of me that just like Naples running away, Napoli running away with the Italian league, would be happy if Arsenal won the title. To see a non-financially doped team win the title in modern football in the big leagues would be not the end of the world. And from a Spurs point of view, it would give Daniel Levy no more excuses. It can't just be we can't do it because we're not Manchester City. We're not Chelsea. James, it's been a pleasure working with you over the last year and a half. And yep, no, doubt we'll, a no doubt we'll meet further down the line. What's your mood like this morning, James? Oh, yeah, I, I'm uh, probably not quite as uh, jovial as you, not quite as positive as you. I, I take your point. I can see the logic. And what Arsenal have done in the last three or four years, I think as we were saying last week, probably is a pretty good model for the way Tottenham should approach the next three or four years. And in fact, it was pretty much what they did from 2014 to 2018, 2019, right? So yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I actually take your point. That has cheered me up a little bit. Whether or not that is actually what happens is a different question, I suppose. Oh yeah, the, 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 the you know, whether Arsenal win the title, whether um, Spurs take the lesser rope, whether Levy understands what's going on in modern football, you know, that, that that's all to be, to be seen as, you know, as, as the, the tide goes out. Um, Tim, you were there, you had to report on it. You you don't have as much emotional skin in the game. If I might be so bold as myself and uh, James, give us give us a, the, a logical view of what happened at the lane. Yeah, I, I'm I'm okay today, and I feel bad for being okay because you know I've 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 been there with my team, and I know how much it hurts. Um, it was just hang on, hang on a sec. You can't have been there with Wolves because you can't have any expectations, surely. No, but um... <laughs> did you get was it four one Peter Rudd and Wingy right? It was a five 0 or four one or something. Five one, five one. Sorry, why are you bringing that up? You're trying to well, bring me down. Just... Oh, I was what, trying to make me and Danny feel annoy me. Stop all I'm your sobbing. Cheer, I'm Tim. trying to cheer up the listeners. <laughs> I don't think they care to be honest about Wolves West Brom in 2012 February. Uh, yeah, um, it felt like it was just depressingly predictable. I think Danny because that's uh, the word. It's predictable, wasn't it? Yeah, that's it. It felt. It felt. Uh, maybe it's harsh to judge a team on one match, but it did feel like this was always going to be a barometer of where Spurs were at. 
However, what we saw was what we've seen time and again. Uh, I'm bored of talking about it, to be honest, but, you know, we've all seen it. That in it, that in very initial good start, which only lasts for a couple of minutes, then a regression, then a really, really poor goal to concede, then they react horrifically to adversity, and then you get a response in the second half. And sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. And, you know, we saw a difference against Palace, which uh, a couple of weeks ago in terms of the outcome, but really that was a similar performance with just fine margins going one way or the other. Um, Harry Kane was the difference between the two teams. I was just, it was just, I was disappointed how it didn't become a proper derby until it didn't feel like a proper derby to me until early in the second half when there was some intensity and some tackles flying in and Spurs actually gave the crowd, you know, something to really get their teeth stuck into. But after that, it just turned into sort of silent disappointment, really, not even anger. There was a few boos at the end, but not much anger um, and the only positive for me was that Romero didn't get sent off uh, apart from that can't think of anything oh, well, you know let, let's you know we, we've praised the fella to the hilt he's won the World Cup but there is a part of him am I wrong James he's a, he's a dickhead isn't he he thinks acting tough is the same thing as being tough and there's a world of difference I mean, I'd say, like, in a sort of diplomatic sense, I probably wouldn't go quite that far. But uh, I'd be lying if I said that thought hadn't crossed my mind yesterday afternoon. Uh, it is incredible. Uh, how has he not been sent off? I mean, I know he got sent off in that conference league game. It doesn't count, does it? Who cares? No. How has he not been sent off in a league game for Spurs yet? It's incredible. I mean, I think every single person on that ground had the same thought as me at that point. Was it about 35 minutes, not long after their second goal, I think, that he got, that he got the yellow card for, for herring out and fouling someone 35 yards yep. up the pitch? Like he does so often. In a completely nondescript position. It doesn't yeah, exactly. need to be a foul. Didn't really need to do it. And I get, you know, there, there is something to be said for leaving your mark on an opposition player in a, a derby game. despite yes, the scene, of course. Despite it's been year 2023. But he he is quite a, a savvy, intelligent player when it comes to that kind of thing. He, he is, and that's how he's got away with it. But then get away with it a bit more. Be a bit more intelligent and don't get booked in the first 23 minutes because you might need to... I mean, it didn't happen in the end because they were 2-0 down. The game didn't ever become tight again so he wasn't in a situation where he needed to do it but you know if, if a game gets back to 2-2 and he needs to make a foul on the halfway line he's going to get sent off it's just yeah it, it seems mad to me and you know we, we, we can't we can't have it both ways though. Look, we want players to be committed we want players to you know to be physical we want players to impose themselves on the opposition within reason uh, but we don't want them to be idiots and get booked for a needless challenge in the first 25, 35 you can, minutes. You can be aggressive without being stupid. Sure. All of us who played football at Hackney Marsh level, or whether your local rec is called, will know. I'll, I mean, I'll name the name. Malcolm Chandler. You're probably not listening because you're because you're an Arsenal fan. Every week... Oh, Malcolm, he will be listening. He yeah, will be listening. They'll Malcolm, be listening. Malcolm used to get booked um, early on to show how committed he was to the cause. But of course, it meant he couldn't make any tackles for the rest of the game. It was stupid. Well, I thought I thought Long Longley was on the right side of that line. I thought he had, he put some really good aggressive tackles in. But on, and I think he got booked as well, didn't he? But I thought, yeah, he did. It was quite an aggressive performance, but but yeah, not um, not stupidly aggressive like Romero was. Well, eventually we have to come back to the manager. Um, and I, I noticed that my Twitter timeline, and of course they're echo chambers, so you're going to get a bit of this. The things I and we have been saying. Um, on this podcast for a few months now. And I'm never one to be, so I told you so, because I'm just as likely to be wrong. And I like to admit that as well. Um, but they're all, everyone's coming around to now, why are Spurs not as committed as they Arsenal were in the game? I don't mean stupid fouling committed, I mean committed to playing the game. It's because why would you fight tooth and nail? Why would you sweat the proverbial blood for a bloke who's obviously not committed to the club himself? Yeah, I mean, it's a fair question, and um, 
it, it does kind of uh, that is kind of broadcast out in the pictures, isn't it? You see like a real. I think that's like the best illustration of there being a lack of commitment to the longer term quote unquote project at Tottenham at the moment. Like, there's a real disconnect between kind of what happens in a game in a ninety minute period and like a longer term vision. And we've talked before about that lack of a sense of this being a journey. It just feels like we're just playing a game week by week and we're more or less getting the same thing every single time. There isn't a sense of what goes wrong in one game is going to be le- is going to be learned from and d- developed on in the next game, which is maybe why we keep seeing the same things up again and again and again. There isn't a sense that this team is developing or improving. A- a- an obvious, perhaps even easy comparison would be that game in May, the 3-0 win against Arsenal at the end of last season, which from a Spurs perspective, I guess, was a bigger game due to what was on the line in that moment. And Spurs, without a mass, I mean, how different was the team? Without, I've not got it in front of me, but uh, obviously Kane, Son, Kulusevski all played. Romero missed out, so Sanchez played. We've been Davis and Dyer, I guess. It was Royal and Royal and Sessegnon were winning. Royal and Sessegnon. So I mean, you're putting Romero and Doherty into the team. I suppose you're taking Bentancur out and put Sar in. Sort of about the same, really, isn't it? No, no. And, and, and Arsenal have improved significantly, super significantly. Let's be honest sure, about sure, that. Sure, 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 sure. But, but oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, just on that though, they have improved a lot. But actually, if you look at the personnel... But they've obviously individually improved, and as a team, they're improved. And and that's coaching, isn't it? That's my point. Like, you know, if you look at someone like like, like Granite Xhaka, and I'm like, this is like an extreme example, so it's kind of almost a bit unfair, but like, he was a complete joke. You know, he, he walked off in that game against Crystal Palace and got booed off the pitch. I think that was like sort of second half of 2019. I guess, I'm guessing just before... Arteta got the job probably towards the end of Emery. This guy is a complete joke. And now look at him, he like, looks like one of the best midfielders in the league. I and mean, he is. And that's what happens when you kind of take a long-term vision and develop a player on the pl- on the training ground every week. Which Tottenham player, let me ask you this question before you come back. Which Tottenham player since November 2021 uh, has improved in the basis of their performances between Conte taking over and now? I can't think of one. Um, would, would Hoiberg be one, perhaps? Obviously, I didn't see... Um second half of last season maybe I mean he was very good in the we're splitting hairs but you know first Mourinho season he was very good and then went off a cliff and then picked up again so maybe but I I saw and and, you know Ben Tancor feels like someone who who is flourishing whether that's whether that's um, down to Conte or just him as a player yeah that's true I suppose if you look at at, that. but someone like Sessegnon would be a glaring example of of someone he hasn't managed to improve you know wing backs are his speciality position for, for many years and I know Sessegnon has obviously had issues with injuries and you know we've talked about him quite a bit on this podcast but you know you look at you look at the faith he put in him yesterday I was really I think Saar Saar was he basically had to pick Saar didn't he but by the look of it Basuma not fit Bentancur obviously not fit and Skip as well not fit so he sort of had to pick him but Sessignon he didn't have to pick him and the mistakes that he made he's been making time and again and he hasn't necessarily he certainly hasn't proved as a player uh, this season just to to once again back up though the stop sobbing from the start of the show, we have seen at Arsenal where they were, you know, Project Arteta was not going well, how you can turn it round. We have seen at Naples who everybody said um, had sold all their best players in the summer, Koulibaly, Dries Mertens, etc. Um, how quickly you can turn these things around. Manchester United is another very good example. Chaos to fluidity. But you have to have the players and the manager and the club all believing in the same thing at the same time. But I, 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 there, there is a there is a possibility that this can all be changed, either by Conte or by somebody else. But I don't think it'll be Conte because, you know, you talk about the selection, Tim. Um, 
he is clearly he got it in his mind. I am this very successful manager. This is my system. I will play it. Anybody, I don't have a single FIFA coaching badge. I do have a 10-yard swimming certificate from when I was a kid. Um, and with that certificate, I could tell you in advance that Spurs were going to get overrun in midfield because Arsenal's midfield is fantastic. Spurs were playing an experimental two. And the goal by Odegaard was as predictable as, as I talked about earlier, as the sun rising behind me. Because, you know, that, that gap between the Spurs midfield and the back four, it has been there all season. People, the threes are playing through our two. But he won't change it because he's Antonio Conte, king of tactics. No, you're right. And um, and we're not just saying this after the fact because people can go back and listen to the end of the podcast at the end of last week and we, and we highlighted that. And the that. last month and before Christmas. With a system... Unless it works absolutely perfectly, you leave yourself massively overrun in midfield because more or less everyone is going to have an extra body in there. And you're also conceding like territory on the flanks as well because most teams will end up with two players out wide. And I know, you know, Kulazewski is nominally a, a wide player. When you, when you watch him play, he spends a lot of time right out there on the byline. Doesn't really do much defending. Son, probably even less defending. So you're losing the, mid the possession battle or losing the battle for territory in the middle of the park. You're losing the battle for territory out wide so then you're asking these three centre-backs to put out all of the fires like they're probably not quite good enough as a unit collectively to do that and that means they make more mistakes and I, I look, I'm not saying that, the, that that's all down to the system but it, that only makes it worse it exposes that let me you? just jump in here and say that all right and I wonder if Antonio Conte watches any football because there are two of the most successful clubs in England now who are playing three centre-halves in a back Flat back four, Arsenal and Newcastle, with White playing um, right back in the case of Arsenal and Byrne playing left back in the case of Newcastle. They are effectively playing three centre halves, um, and but, but they play them in a, a flat back four. And now you sacrifice one bit of width on one side, but it's working perfectly well for them. And if he's determined to play three centre halves, I, I'm I, I would I would change it tomorrow. He, he, they conceded I think two goals in, the, in each of the last. Five home games, is that yeah, right, Tim? It's, it's absolutely insane. I mean, the, the thing about the 3-4-3 is, you know, and I, I saw it at Nuno, uh, with Nuno at Wolves, he, he again refused to budge on his formation, but it but it worked because the whole team bought into it and uh, with and without the ball, crucially. But the, I mean, the difference there was that Wolves were on an upward curve, they were on a journey, they were making names for themselves. Um, whereas you, you don't feel like that at all with, with Spurs. They're not, I don't feel like the players are buying into it at all. I feel like they, they want things to change. But that was also a team built with that system in mind, right? And they, and you know, starting in the championship, they had the time, the money, and yeah, the clout. Yeah, wing backs were actually put. Yeah, wing backs were purchased. Yeah, defensive midfielders were purchased. Yeah, and 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 wide forwards who like to cut in. It was all very regimented. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, then you know, yesterday this this the first goal everyone will point out as this horrible error, but the second goal was just so indicative of Spurs' failings at the moment. You know, not just not just the gap that Danny talks about, but the fact that. Um, Hugo Lloris was so poor at playing out from the back as were the team that he was forced to go long Kane misses the header and then three passes later you know it's 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 in the back of the net and we, we've kind of gone through the team selection there and said okay Saar probably had to play so the only the only sort of one or the other was Perisic or Sessegnon I mean that's ridiculous you know we're just we're saying he's so regimented and so stuck in his ways with the system that the only thing he couldn't he could have done differently yesterday was select Perisic over Sessegnon so you know other managers obviously look at this as well there are people 
people paid to put a lot of hours in to prep um, uh, a match plan uh, as, as to how to overcome the opposition. And you know exactly what you're going to get with Spurs. It's just entirely predictable every single week. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're easy to play against. I have defended Hugo Lloris to my back teeth on this podcast and in recent times. Again, you, you must trust the evidence for your own eyes, Tim. He may he may not be a shot stopper in decline, but in the modern game, his lack of skill with his feet is leading to a, a lack of confidence. And there was a deflection on the goal, but still, it looked terrible, didn't it? Yeah, it, it did look awful, and it's a recurring theme, and it's not just happening in big matches. You know, we've seen it recently. Um, and yeah, like I said, the second goal was more indicative of of Spurs' problems and also his because he yeah he just uh, Arsenal with their effective pressing game which always seems to do for Spurs and there's no way around it um, couldn't play it from the back so yeah it's um it's not an issue that's going to be uh, solved in the next few months but I think Spurs should definitely be heightening their search for a, for a keeper for next season no it's 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 sad but he's but he's on the wane. and um, the errors are really creeping up now but I don't think it's anything to feel sort of guilty or. Mm-mm. No, bad about like no. he's thirty six years old, which is you know old for a Premier League player, even a goalkeeper. Uh, you know he's played for Spurs for ten and a half years, eleven years. He's absolute stalwart, no question about it. Yeah, exactly. It. Look, look, and I mean a few people tweeted this last night in on a Monday morning. Like he's basically given his whole career to this to this complete, but you know comedy club. When you know he's he's a World Cup winning captain. Uh, definitely at his peak, one of the best four or five goalkeepers in the world. Loved him, I mean, yeah. to be fair, Spurs were probably fairly close to being one of the four or five best club teams in the world at a point, I would say. So, yeah, look, I, I think it's fine to say now is the time to change without hammering him and calling him a clown. Absolutely. A liability or whatever, even though I would say, actually, if we're being brutally honest, it probably has got to the stage where he is actually uh, a, a bit of a liability. The second half, I know what, you know, it looked better. We got the Spurs got attacking and they have pulled back results against lesser teams in the second half, so-called lesser teams, teams that you would expect them to beat. But how much of that, Tim, you were there with your own eyes was due to Arsenal just stop pressing because they had the two-goal lead? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the minimum you expect, Danny, a, a response and a few shots on goal. You know, I wasn't particularly sort of wow or wowed or impressed with what I was seeing. It's just that they should have been doing that in the first half. But, you know, we know that. Um just to go back to the first half, what what really alarmed me, and I guess I haven't really thought about it before, is, you know, do Spurs have enough leaders? And I, I think they should have throughout the spine of that team. But it's alarming how how much they lose control when they've lost when they've lost a goal. And they're not just putting their foot on the ball, slowing the game down, winning a few fouls, keeping possession for a couple of minutes and just calming everything down. It there's just seems to be this sort of frame. They've got in that starting lineup yesterday they had three national captains they had a world cup winner a world cup fight two two world cup winners a world cup finalist so if you're looking for character and experience come on no you're right it should be through the spine of the team it should be Lloris, dyer hoiberg and kane but but you just you look at it and like who's who's putting their foot on the ball here who's having a go at teammates who's 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 calming everything down and I guess you just come back to the fact that they're just not well coached or well drilled enough because they've just got this inability to just slow a game down and control a game, which feels like, you know, a Conte staple to me, that they should be able to just get through five or ten minutes of a tough match at home and just keep and just keep the bloody ball for a few minutes. But they just they just seem incapable of doing it. And we've seen this time and again. We saw it against Newcastle, against but Liverpool nor, at home. Nor Tim, do they have the ability to speed the game up? Because most Spurs fans want them to play helter skelter. I know I do. 
Um, you're right. They can't slow the game down and they can't speed it up either. Very quickly before we um, we move on from the game into where we are with Conte and all, and all the rest of it, I, I, I wasn't passing over the incident with the fan. I'll read you the statement from the club. We're appalled by the behaviour of a supporter that attempted to attack Arsenal goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale at the end of today's match. Violence in any form has no place in football. The club has reviewed its CCTV footage to identify the supporter and we're working with the Metropolitan Police, Arsenal and Aaron Ramsdale uh, to take the strongest possible action, including an immediate ban on the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. back to the second half of today's edition of The View from the Lane um, where we're picking over well what happened uh, in the North London derby where the better team won let's not kid ourselves but the part of the reason for that is that ongoingly Spurs are not improving that is evident um, I'm not suggesting they're going backwards fast but I tell you what after the next three games two against Manchester City and one away to Fulham we could be looking at a collapse of a season one hopes not one trusts that the football gods will throw us a bone but that's what we could be looking at which takes us on once again to Antonio Conte, whose refusal to commit himself to Spurs is now becoming not just a problem, but I believe at the club, the problem. Well, first of all, let's talk about the press conference afterwards where he's got to be positive about the players. I understand all that. But he sat there talking nonsense, I think, Tim, it's fair to say. <sighs> yes, uh, he said he was happy with the performance. And... <laughs> I've got my, my, non, my nonsense detector on. Bing! Yeah, uh, he's pleased with the reaction in the second half, of Bing. course. Uh, Hugo Lloris is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Um, uh, yeah, that was about it, really. I mean, you'd expect him. You expect him to bat Lloris. I think that's that's. Yeah, fine. he's got to do that. He's got to do that. Yeah. All right, I'll take that one. Boom. But the yeah, to be pleased with the performance. I mean, basically, he said he's he was saying he was pleased how they uh, didn't lose their heads and didn't embarrass themselves. Oh God! Which, oh um, God! To point to that as a, as a as a positive is is pretty desperate, really. Um, what yeah. he means is they didn't embarrass me, Antonio Conte, before I because he he's I, it looks to me like now he's trying to manage this blot on his managerial CV. Yeah, I feel like he's he's given up in press conferences. Really, you know, he he says something that he doesn't believe, and and we just just in know. the press conferences. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a bit it's, it's it's just a bit of a sham, really. And, and but but the the problem is that that riles up fans even further. I mean, my timeline was was full of a lot of spittle and bile last night from people who can't, sorry about that can't believe what he said. You know, rightly so because you know when you when you see a performance like that, you know, against anyone, let alone your local rivals in a, in a big match, you know, you want you want to hear reasons and excuses and explanations from your manager, or at least you know a crumb of comfort as as to if he got it wrong or the players got it wrong, but just to say that everything was fine. Um, it's just nonsense, to be honest. I have to say, it was quite noticeable, both in the ground and on Twitter uh, after the game. There was far less sort of anti-Levy, anti-Enoch stuff than there was like after Villa or after some of the other games, as far as Twitter is concerned. And a lot more, not like kind of, you know, it wasn't like any sort of Conte out chanting or whatever, but there were a lot more kind of grumbles about substitutions and, you know, confused looks and little conversations people were having afterwards about it. What about when he brought on a, what about when he brought on another centre half in the 89th minute? I mean I've sort of given up on his substitutions now because I think he just does these weird little kind of throws of the dice rightly. He seems to love changing the centre backs to seemingly for no reason. Um, Change the system mate. 
I, yeah, I mean, change the record. I mean, I, to me, like I've looked at the running order and I already know you're about to ask me whether he should be sacked now. So do you I'm not, no, I'm me? not, no, I'm not asking you that. You're not. You're but not you clearly me that. want to be asked because that's that's what you did there. Sure. Go on then. Does it should it should I get rid? I mean, I just don't see that. I, I don't really see that it's going to improve. And we've been over this a few times. He's not going to sign. He's not going to sign this contract, is he? He's obviously not going to sign this contract. He, he's only going to sign this contract if they give him a fifty million pound right back and a sixty million pound centre back and another fifty million pound midfielder or whatever. And as we've seen with the signing, we know that isn't going to happen. And as we've seen with the signings happen. that Chelsea have made, um, you know th- those are not going to be the prices that Spurs are going to pay because they have now ramped the market up yet again by using Grealish as a benchmark. Shakhtar have gotten to pay a hundred million for Mudrik, a player who has played. He started about thirty games. In the league, in, in Ukraine, less than 30, I believe. You got hijacked there, James, when you were telling me whether or not you think you would let him go now. I, I probably wouldn't, but only because I just don't think there's like an obvious option. I, and I know we've had this like kind of big chat about, you know, Maurizio Pochettino sat in his big house in North London twiddling his thumbs. But I just slightly moved away from that now in terms of it feeling like a viable option. I don't know why, I just kind of feel like not just because of the old cliche about not going back, but also just because what was so great about Pochettino first time round was like the energy and the sense of it being fresh and new. And like, it was this dynamic young manager of all these new ideas that everyone could buy into both like players and fans. And we're now like nine years on from him taking over. I don't know whether it has quite the same appeal second time round, even to different players. Sorry, I'm, I feel like I've upset you. No, no, you bit. haven't. No, I, I, I want emotionally Pochettino to come back. Um, but every, everything you said there, um, my goodness, it's a very complimentary version of the podcast, isn't it? Everything you said there was logically right. It doesn't tend to work second time around. Um, I, w- I was going to use Max Allegri as an argument against that, as Juventus had gone seven games without conceding a goal and won them all one 0 until they got whacked by Napoli five one in the in the deciding game in the race for the title in Italy uh, during the weekend. I mean, amazing result on Friday uh, for for Naples. Uh, who, as I say, are oh, the template? They they lost half their team, um, but the managers uh, and Spalletti, interestingly, who is managing. Um, the, uh, the Naples two, they're they're ten or eleven points clear now. Before the huge game against Juventus, um, he threw down the gauntlet for football over anti-football. This is the exact quotes. Maybe there are two different philosophies. I could, this could be me talking about it. Allegri matches perfectly with Juventus' motto: winning isn't important; it's the only thing that matters. In Na- in Napoli, there is more heart and soul. Uh, the heart and soul that saw Maradona. And when they won, they showed how much beauty there is in football. We have to also bring forward a part of that beauty. We have to try and propose it again. He then went out and whacked the anti-football team five goals to one. Um, and I think all things are possible in this best of all possible worlds. And I shouldn't be wearing the hat on the side of my head saying I'm not. Um, but if we sit there crying, hence the start of the show, then we won't make any progress. Personally speaking, if he's not going to sign the contract, I'll get rid of him. And if that means Ryan Mason, who at least is mates with Harry Kane, takes over for the rest of the season, then so be it. I've got no problem with that at all because I don't think the players, they, they, the team might get worse, but the players can't look any less motivated than they do at the moment. Um, and I know these running stats and all the rest of it, they, they weren't engaged with that game in the first half. One thing I'd like to bring up, 
and I know we discussed this before, but if we're debating Conte and his merits and his future, then I think I think we have to discuss it and his performance over the past few months. You know, the grief that he's gone through in losing three people just just can't be ignored, really. You know, obviously for people who maybe aren't aware, you know, Giampiero Ventroni, his fitness coach, died in October. His good friends, Sinisa Mihailovic and Gianluca Vialli, passed away recently you know it's got to have an impact on him personally and the impact it has on him personally has to transmit to his players um i don't think we can get away from that and um i'm not i'm not sort of you know making excuses here i'm just trying to think of reasons why he's not himself as well because he doesn't look himself to me you know the conte i've seen in the past and i've seen it before with the manager i've seen it with nuno before at wolves when um he was incredibly affected by the lockdown um and being away from his homeland as of course as as conte is and he had an incredibly tough time and it really weighed on his shoulders. And that 100%, 100% transmitted to the players who lost their energy on the pitch and lost their spark and lost their mojo as he had done. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying exactly the same thing as happened to Conte here, but I, I just think it's something that, that has to be mentioned when we're, when we're talking about his performance in the past few months. He's a human being that is a, a triple whammy of losses that he suffered. I can't, I can't disagree with you there. Um, and the new paragraph, and it's not a problem. The issue is, of course, that life does keep coming at you at tremendous speed. Um, and he's responsible for a group of young men. But I 100% agree with you to not mention that in a discussion about him would be not to place all of the cards, good and bad, positive and negative, on the table. And thanks for doing that, Tim. One transfer that is on the horizon, we'll end the, the today's podcast, I think, by talking about this, is the possibility of Leandro Trossard. A year ago, a rather anonymous member of um, Brighton squad, and you'd have thought, oh, Solly March is their best wide player, wouldn't you? Um, suddenly, he's all the rage. Um, he's had a falling out. Um, Spurs have made a verbal offer, whatever that means, of around £12 million for Trossard, who scored a number of goals this season, by the way, which has been rebuffed by Brighton who value him far more highly. Um, and, you know, they, 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 we'll see whether or not the interest has been followed up. Andy Naylor um, is the Brighton and Hove Albion correspondent uh, for The Athletic. And uh, he's uh, given us a, a few thoughts on where exactly all of this is. Tottenham's £12 million bid for Leandro Trossard can best be described as testing the water. This was a verbal offer that hasn't, as things stand, been followed up with a more formal bid in writing. They're very much in the shallow end with that bid in terms of Brighton's expectations. They're going to have to go far, far deeper than that to have any prospect of landing Trossard in the January window. He's still a influential player for Brighton, joint top scorer. Yes, he's 28 years of age, but they also have an option on his contract that uh, runs out this summer. So effectively, as far as Brighton concerned, he's under contract with them, or certainly the potential to be, until the end of next season. So where's it all gone wrong at Brighton? Well, in his first game under Roberto De Zerbi, the replacement head coach for Graham Potter, Trossard scored a hat-trick in the 3-3 draw against Liverpool Anfield in October. He was back home in Belgium on Saturday when Brighton um, defeated Liverpool 3-0 at the Amex, impressively without him, uh, given permission to be out of the country by De Zerbi. 
but their relationship has 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 broken down. Things were going well up until the World Cup, and he's come back in a bleak mood. Performed poorly in two and a bit appearances since the World Cup. Deserby hasn't liked what he's seen in terms of his attitude, body language. Deserby says he left a training session before the FA Cup tight Middlesbrough without his permission. Trossard has had a calf injury, which is ongoing. He, through his representative, claims that's why he left the session. So he's been left out of the squad for the last two games now. And without him, Brighton have um, thumped Middlesbrough 5-1 and um, demolished Liverpool 3-0. That was Andy Naylor um, giving us the latest on the possibility of Leandro Trossard coming from Brighton. Um, Tim, 12 million, even though Nip Spurs must know he's got another year and a half on his contract with that extension, um, classic Levy low ball, would Spurs be even going for him if he wasn't so cheap in their minds? I, th- I, th- I, think, he's, I think he's an effective uh, Premier League performer who would definitely add to their squad. I think his versatility is uh, a real strength. You know, he, he plays pretty much everywhere, really. Um started off his career as a striker uh, then sort of used as a attack mining midfielder and a 10 uh, he's played on the left he's played at wing back for Belgium so I, I, I think he's someone yeah who could really add to their squad but I mean it feels, it feels unlikely that he's going to come in at this moment in time because you know 12 million's ridiculous really <laughs> and I, I guess this this spat that he's having at Brighton would would concern me if it was my money and I was buying him for my squad because you know if if he's a bit of a problem I'm not saying he is but if if he is then that's not the kind of player I'd want to bring in I mean it's probably it's probably worth saying he he and he through his agent have kind of put a slightly different spin on what's happened into there's a statement that went out back in the last week um so you know you should keep an open mind with that sort of thing in mind obviously it's like a live situation and everyone has their agenda um uh, and you know players have forced moves before and ended up doing incredibly well at the club they've moved to so again I wouldn't necessarily say that means he's a bad egg to none the extent us, that he shouldn't be think, none of us think Harry, Harry Kane's a bad apple even though he didn't turn up for training when he wanted to go to Manchester City and players who want to move suddenly get you know paraded around as being shameful and all the rest of it I don't I don't think that's necessarily the case that's with the game. Trossard that's the game that is I think, he's, I think he's a really good player like he's had a couple of really good seasons down at Brighton he's, I think he's probably been their best player for longer than I think you've sort of implied there Danny I think maybe for a couple of years I can see the logic you know and you're right I mean I think if he wasn't available for relatively cheap possibly they wouldn't be interested but if he's got 18 months of his contract everyone knows he wants out Brighton maybe you know, they've got uh, Matoma and a couple of other players coming through now. Maybe they're not quite as desperate to keep them as they otherwise would be. So maybe it's in their interest to sell as well. I, I, I just don't think 12 million... I, I, look, they probably were never going to get him for that little, but I don't think it's an insane first bid as in a kind of exploratory... Oh, I don't know. I'm I mean, glad you're office. not trying to buy my house. But how much, but how much do you think he's... How, how no, much but if he's, he's effectively got 18 months left on his contract, like, like well, Andy tell, was tell saying there... Tell me the amount of money you think he's worth. Minimum 20. Well, then 12 is a highly sensible first bid. What, half? Oh, pretty much half, half half the money? It's more than half. It's about 60%, mate. 60? What did you get for your maths GCC? I'm doing no maths. I'm not doing that. That was about 40 years ago. I scraped through my maths GCSE, so I'm not going to join in this. Um, listen, there, there will no doubt be more discussions about uh, transfers and things, but Spurs still have games to play. We'll be back next Friday because the next game, away to Manchester City. Oh, joy. Um, is on Thursday evening. Um, Listen, thank you very much 
for listening. Thank you to um, for trying to help us through what I suppose the kind of therapy session after that result. Um, if you're not already an athletic subscriber, you can sign up to read all of Tim and all the other uh, in-depth coverage of Spurs, as well as, I mean, it's just, a, I keep using the phrase, it's beyond a mountain. It's a range, a mountain range of stuff on The Athletic. It's also an incredible bargain. You just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod, sign up right now for $1.99 a month. That's 50 pence a week for the next 12 months. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Friday. And remember, stop your sobbing. Athletic.